amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hello and welcome to episode 108 of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast. I'm Adam. In his classic book about the Hells Angels Motorcycle Club, the legend that was Hunter Thompson said, The main reason the Angels are such good copy is that they are acting out the daydreams of millions of losers who don't wear any defiant insignia and who don't know how to be outlaws. In today's show, I delve into the closed world of motorbike clubs and look at the events which led to the brutal death of two men in London. This week's show is sponsored by Away. Away makes suitcases for the way we actually travel to solve real-life problems. For example, I always use their case when I travel for work, as the inbuilt ejectable battery charger means that I don't have to worry about my phone being out of charge when I land. I'm a terrible packer, are you? But the interior compression system helps me to pack more and the removable washable laundry bag really helps too. You see what I mean? Real life issues for you and me solved. As well as that, it looks cool in a number of different colours. It's lightweight and easy to transport with four 360 degree spinner wheels. I use mine for travelling all the time. Get yours today too. Listeners to this podcast will get £15 off their purchase. Please just head to awaytravel.com forward slash crime and use the promo code crime to take advantage of this special offer. That is awaytravel.com forward slash crime and use promo code crime. And with every suitcase coming with a 100-day trial so that you can decide on the perfect size and colour, it's an ideal gift for Christmas. Get yours today. I'm also delighted that this episode is again sponsored by Hangman, the eagerly anticipated follow-up from Daniel Cole, author of the Sunday Times bestseller, Ragdoll. Have you bought your copy yet? This was undoubtedly the most gripping book I've read in 2018, And it's perfect for fans of true crime or anyone who loves a gritty thriller. From the very start, the plot is fast moving and has all the elements you loved from those fantastic cat and mouse thrillers like The Bone Collector. I love the lead character, DCI Emily Baxter, who despite always being one step behind the killer, she races against time to stop the utterly gruesome murderer as the body count continues to rise all around her. But it isn't just the plot. The writing is absolutely first class, with quick-witted and pacey dialogue. Daniel Cole has many fans in the genre, with bestseller Rachel Abbott calling him a star. Hangman is published by Trapeze and is out now in paperback in all good bookshops and of course online. Hangman is impossible to put down, so support this podcast and buy Hangman today. A huge thank you as always to my wonderful supporters on Patreon but especially this week's new supporters who have joined our exclusive group. That is Jesse Askeland and Suzanne Kimball. Thank you both so much. 
let's really quickly set some context for the time of the events we are looking at today, around the 31st of January 1998. Topping the UK music charts was You Make Me Wanna by Usher, keeping all saints off the top spot with Never Ever. In the US, it was another sentimental pile of nonsense from Janet with Together Again. Bring back elbow, I say. Hmm. Like Janet, I guess my global success as a podcasting legend has now raised me to be known just by the first name. No doubt at work you will discuss Pele, Madonna, Janet and Adam, right? Right? In Australia, the top single of the year was Gangster Rap with Ricky Martin and The Cup of Life, followed by It's Like That by Run DMC versus Jason Nevins. In the news this month, Vandals decapitated Copenhagen's Little Mermaid statue. It was the 26th of January this month when President Bill Clinton uttered the famous line, I want to say one thing to the American people. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. It was also a sad month for entertainment as Dawson's Creek premiered. And in the UK, crowds lined the streets up to 10 deep to celebrate the engagement of David Beckham and popular Posh Spice. Battersea is a district of South London on the south bank of the Thames, around two and a half miles southwest of Charing Cross. Best known for the Battersea Power Station and the Dogs Home, it also houses Battersea Arts Centre in a wonderful Grade 2 listed building close to Clapham Junction Railway Station. In February 1998, Visitors to the Arts Centre would have seen a small signpost covered with the remains of flowers. Taped to the post was a sticker of a death's head in a feathered top hat with the words Thames Outcasts, No Surrender, written below. Violent death isn't unexpected with the motorcycle club lifestyle and the two men killed at Battersea the month before, 35-year-old Malcolm St. Clair and 33-year-old Keith Armstrong, were members of the Outcast Motorcycle Club. Of the 1 million owners of motorbikes in this country, only around 2,000 are members of Outlaw Motorcycle Clubs. About half of these belong to one of the big four clubs, the Hells Angels, Satan's Slaves, the Outcasts and the Outlaws. Supposedly, they were formed in response to the Hells Angels' attempts to control the territory. Writing in the Guardian newspaper, Melanie McGrath thinks that much of what we think we know about the outlaw scene was originally culled from Hunter S. Thompson's 1966 book on the Angels and it's been hyped up and embroidered ever since. It is often said, for example, that new bikers must commit rape, necrophilia, communal vomiting and chicken murder before being allowed to join an outlaw club. The truth, of course, is much different. Newbies, or prospects, are required simply to live by the rules, which are usually something along these lines. To own a bike of 750cc or more in running order, to join in the club's runs and rallies, to refrain from wearing the club's colours on public transport or in cars, to keep off another brother's property and bedfellows, and to avoid injecting drugs or grassing to the coppers or the media. All members are expected to stand their ground, as one senior member put it, to honour and protect the club's colours at whatever cost. 
The colours are the Godhead, the symbol of the biker faith. They are sewn onto the back of the biker's jacket and imprinted on their hearts. A quick online search shows the tensions between motorcycle clubs and the violence that can ensue. But the specific events leading to the deaths of Malcolm St. Clair and Keith Armstrong began in June 1997, when the outcasts absorbed a small Hertfordshire motorcycle club called the Lost Tribe. Territory, as we've heard, is important, and the Hells Angels weren't happy about this attempt, as they saw it, of the outcasts to increase their numbers in the UK, something they believed they were actively trying to do during the course of 1997. Although accurate details of what happened next and who said what to whom are impossible to authenticate due to the Motorcycle Club's code of secrecy, I will do my best from available evidence to piece together what happened next. The Hells Angels called a meeting to discuss the territory issue with the outcasts and the lost tribe. Unhappy with the responses received at the meeting, the Hells Angels told the outcasts that they would not accept groups of more than four outcasts riding across Hells Angels' held territory. The outcasts, of course, disputed this. It wasn't long after this, at the end of this year, that 22 outcasts defected to the Hells Angels. The outcasts said openly they weren't too fussed about this, and they let it be known that one of their recent recruits was power crazy. He wanted that power quickly, and he was frustrated that he couldn't immediately have it with the outcasts. They said that the other defectors were not of the quality they usually recruited and were too easily influenced by this one person, which is why they left in bulk. And in addition to this, some of the defectors were swayed by the Hells Angels offering loans for new bikes. And with the average Harley-Davidson not leaving much change from 10k, you can understand this, I guess. But as you can imagine, the response from the Hells Angels painted a very different story, with a denial that they loaned money for bikes. It was just that the people leaving the outcasts wanted to join a superior motorcycle club. One leading member retorted, We don't go looking for members. They come looking for us. Relations between the rival gangs were usually okay, okay okay-ish, just about okay. But detectives believe that this changed after the British Hells Angels were warned by their US counterparts to combat the rise of rival clubs. So this incident about members and territory raised the tension between the two groups significantly, with each accusing the other of intimidation. Then on the 31st of January, events came to a head at Battersea Arts Centre. Violence seemed a long way away as almost 2,000 people had fun and enjoyed themselves at a gig. It was a rockers reunion gig, so there were all sorts of people there, and people just relaxing, drinking and having fun. Even the security guards, both members of the Outcast Motorcycle Club, were starting to relax and enjoy the music and the vibe. But then at around 9pm, a security guard spotted a tall man in Hells Angels colours on the dance floor, although he wasn't dancing. The guard then saw a group of outcasts rushing along the corridor towards a side door. The guard looked back towards the dance floor again, where to his horror, he saw that at least 10 Hell's Angels were now on the dance floor, with the tall man clearly leading the group. 
It was like a Western movie, he said. People parted to let him through. It was at this time outside the art centre that Keith Armstrong, or Flipper, as he was known, was just arriving on his bike. Keith was from Belfast and an ex-soldier. He only had one leg and was known as Flipper because of this. Again, accounts of the following events are confused. But what is clear is that a number of Hell's Angels attacked Keith with iron bars, coshes and at least one knife as he dismounted his bike. Keith was also armed, but there were so many Hell's Angels surrounding him, it was almost impossible for him to be able to effectively fight back. He was stabbed four times in his abdomen and left leg, and his lungs were pierced as he fell to the ground. Malcolm Sinclair, also known to his friends as Mal, or the Terminator, saw what was happening. A huge man, Malcolm tried to help his friend Keith but he faced a devastating onslaught as he did so and was hit repeatedly with a blunt instrument, probably the side of an axe or a hammer. Malcolm was armed with a knife and tried his best to fight off his attackers, but he was cornered and stabbed eight times in the chest, abdomen, back and hand. Dying, he managed to stumble to the post in Theatre Street where he collapsed and died. He was just 35 years old. Tragically, Keith Armstrong suffered a heart attack as a result of his injuries and he too died in hospital later that night. Mal was a single man, whereas his friend Flipper left a partner Sue and a son Scott. David Diddy Traherne, an outcast, and Barry Hollingsworth, an ex-outcast turned Hell's Angel, were also wounded in the fight. The whole thing, said one witness, lasted a couple of sets of traffic lights. Witnesses said that the Hells Angels had been calm during the executions, as they described them, and seemed pleased of what they had done. One was heard to say, I got the bastard, I got him, I did him. The reputation of motorcycle clubs meant that Malcolm St. Clair's funeral had to be held in a Methodist chapel in Tooting, South London, after a number of churches closer to where he lived in Catford, scandalously refused to allow it to take place on their premises. How appalling. Over 200 bikers paid their respects at Keith Armstrong's funeral in Manor Park Crematorium, East London. Keith was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, said his dad, Bob. It is the funerals, I think, where you realise again that although the motorcycle club was important to them. Well, much, much more than the word important. It almost defined their lives. But more than that, they were people like you and me with friends, families, and the same hopes and fears as the rest of us. In her article, Melanie McGrath says, The fact that Malcolm St. Clair and Keith Armstrong both died wearing their outcast colours makes a difference. If not to their fate then to their reputations and to their current status as martyrs to the cause. Since the Battersea murders, the outcasts have worn a side patch bearing the names of Mal and Flipper. Their clubhouse in Tottenham has become a kind of shrine to the two men. A collection box for the dead men's families sits in the hallway and the wall nearest the bar has been papered with their photographs. Two candles throw shadows on them. 
Once the police knew that motorcycle clubs were involved, they knew the investigation was going to be a difficult one, as these clubs were notorious for not speaking to the police. Launching Operation Middlezoy, detectives appealed for witnesses and then for photographs and footage taken by camera or video on the night of the gig. Whereas a few outcasts and many members of the public gave statements, the Hells Angels said nothing at all. They refused always to cooperate with the police. Over the next month or so, there were a number of arrests, and a week later, success. Police charged Hells Angels Barry Hollingsworth, Raymond Woodward, and Ronald Waite with murder. 44-year-old Ronald Waite, known as Gut because of his size, was vice president of the Essex chapter of the Hells Angels, known as the Hatchet Crew. A witness said that they saw a man stab Malcolm St. Clair and that after the stabbing the man had walked off calmly and driven off in a Volvo car. This same man was also seen carrying an axe. The witness said he wrote down the number plate of the Volvo car and Ronald Waite was arrested in that same car several days later in West Thurrock, Essex. If you work for the police, it's probably best to turn the sound down for a minute or so. On this podcast, we've seen many examples of amazing police work. But sadly, we've also seen plenty of inept detective work, and this case falls in that category. The case against Hollingsworth and Woodward was withdrawn after the police accidentally revealed the names of two protective witnesses to the solicitor for the defence. And the two witnesses in question, an outcast and his wife, understandably refused to give evidence. Ahead of the trial, the QC for the prosecution had told the judge, The reason for the Crown's decision is the witnesses who give material evidence in respect of each have declined to come to court. It would not be prudent in the circumstances for me to go into the reasons for it. I bet. And Detective Inspector Jeff Hyams, who led the investigation, said, We've always insisted we would not force them to come to court, whether real or imagined there was a perception of risk. In November 1998 at the Old Bailey, 44-year-old Ronald Waite, a father of two from Dagenham, Essex, denied the charge of conspiring to cause grievous bodily harm. But he was found guilty and jailed for 15 years for his part in organising the attack on the outcasts. Although the prosecution did not proceed with a murder charge against him, the judge told Waite, He believed the men who had died had been ruthlessly executed. He said, You took an active part in conspiring to cause grievous bodily harm, a conspiracy which led to the death of two men. In truth, they were executed in a manner that was as ruthless as it was arrogant. But was justice really done here? Many think that the result of this court case was as scandalous as the Wilder Fury result on Sunday. With the police balls up, two key witnesses were not able to provide their evidence, which surely was absolutely key to getting the correct result for justice. There are plenty of rumours still circulating that Ronald Waite was not responsible and was taking the can for others. His choice, of course. But in this secretive world of honour and loyalty, where the repercussions are a serious matter. Even after all this time, people are unwilling to speak on the record. 
And frankly, it's not hard to understand why, is it? After the verdict, Keith Armstrong's dad said he hoped that the violence between the two groups was now over. He said, We would not like anyone from any organisation to go out and seek retribution on his behalf. His girlfriend, Sue, said the former soldier had been loving, extremely sociable, stubborn and determined. She added, I would like to think the Hells Angels had a sense of shame, but I suspect that is not the case. Now our son, Scott, will have to grow up without a father. So what do you make of what we've heard today? The savage violence is of course terrible, and two young men lost their lives in the attack on the streets of South London. I shudder to think of the sights, sounds and smells of those few minutes of brutal violence. There will be some of you, I'm sure, who will feel less than sympathetic for Malcolm and Keith, as the men themselves were armed and violence was a part of their lives. I get this, I really do. But during the research for this episode, I've changed my view about motorcycle clubs. It started out that people in motorcycle clubs should just grow up and become adults. But that view has softened. I've referred to the article a few times, but I strongly suggest you read Melanie McGrath's excellent article, which delves into the personal side of the members of these motorcycle clubs, away from the tabloid headlines, and what belonging means to some people. Sonny Barger, founder of the Oakland, California chapter of the Hells Angels, and the Hells Angels hero, once said, In the Hells Angels, we know who we are, what we are, and why we are. Mastery and belonging are the watchwords of the Patch Club. They define a certain kind of jagged cowboy masculinity and a sentimental attachment to a world of oath and loyalty and honour. This is a myth, of course, but to the biker, it's real and true. As one outcast puts it, the rest of life just don't match up to this. Outside the charmed circle of the club, The men of the angels, the outcasts and the rest are mechanics, fathers, plumbers, debtors, mortgagees and husbands. They are, in other words, altogether ordinary. But with their colours on their backs, they are kings. One hell's angel that Melanie spoke to confessed to being bullied as a child. But now I'm somewhere I feel powerful for once, he said. The club lends each of its members the weight of the collective. And in doing so, it makes them its willing slave so long as they continue to belong, the club contracts to regard, respect and nurture that member. And that is the real understandable pull of the thing. It's desperate and enviable camaraderie. For me, the next line really sums it up. It's hard to think of another life, said one outcast. What would you do? Go home and take up crochet? quiet. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. Please join us in the Facebook group where with almost 1,800 members you can discuss this story and any other aspect of UK true crime. Plus all the fun of a Christmas true crime quiz with our quiz master Chris Clark. Come along it's a lot of fun I promise. Or to support the show please head to patreon.com slash a UK true crime 
This week we'll see full-length bonus episode 22 released, and there is lots of other exclusive content for you to enjoy. Hear how I grapple with the major moral issues of true crime podcasting. (laughs) Actually, I'm not selling that too well, am I? Mm, Yeah, yeah, moving on. Look, basically, for a glass of mulled wine a month, you can help keep the show going on a weekly basis. So if you're able to support, I'll be very grateful. That's patreon.com slash UK True Crime. So before you head off for Christmas, don't forget to update your luggage at awaytravel.com forward slash crime and to buy Hangman by Daniel Cole to help you through those long, endless evenings with the relatives. So until we speak again, I have just one piece of advice for you. Whether at the sex sauna in Rochdale or your Christmas party when you are full of Prosecco and there is some worrying mistletoe nearby. Just stay classy. Cheerio for now. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.